unhealthy changes in the gut microbial ecosystem may manifest as poor cognitive performance, impaired emotional regulation, negative mood states, and unhealthy stress response. This was posted three days ago from Neurohacker Collective, saying that we're just on the fringes of understanding the gut-brain connection and its impact on cognitive performance and emotional well-being. And I completely agree that this topic is finally getting the attention it deserves. So sit back and enjoy today's episode, and I hope you take away some tips that show you how to improve your gut-brain connection for improved mood and health immediately. Welcome back to season 10 of the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning podcast, where we connect the science-based evidence behind social and emotional learning that's finally being taught in our schools today and emotional intelligence training used in our modern workplaces for improved well-being, achievement, productivity, and results. Using what I saw as the missing link, the application of practical neuroscience. I'm Andrea Samadhi, an author and an educator with a passion for learning and launched this podcast five years ago with the goal of bringing all the leading experts together in one place to uncover the most current research that would bring back how the brain learns best by taking us all to new and often unimaginable heights. On today's episode number 305, we welcome back Dr. Gregory Kelly from episode 285, just this past April, where he introduced us to Qualia Senolytic, where we covered what is cellular senescence. We covered the hallmarks of aging and why cellular senescence is an important hallmark. We looked at the differences between cellular senescence and autophagy, with a quick review of ninth grade science with mitosis. We looked at classical places where senescent cells take hold in the body and the science to support senolytics from Mayo Clinic and the Scripps Institute. We looked at how senolytics work and the correct way to dose them and what makes qualia senolytic a groundbreaking supplement in the longevity space. So you can review that past episode and Dr. Kelly's first interview with us. This interview set the stage for what we're going to cover today. We're going to cover Qualia Symbiotic. It's a one-of-a-kind formula that doesn't just promote a healthy gut. It actually supports mood and brain performance by enhancing the gut-brain connections that are so crucial for nearly every system in the body. There's never been one simple scoop of supplemental nutrition designed to support so many aspects of gut health including the gut brain access. And I've been taking this supplement for the past two weeks and it's phenomenal. Before we meet Dr. Kelly, just a bit about his background. He's a naturopathic physician, author, and director of product development at Neurohacker Collective. He's published hundreds of articles on natural medicine and nutrition, contributed three chapters to the textbook of natural medicine, and has more than 30 journal articles indexed on PubMed. His areas of expertise include nootropics, 
anti-aging and regenerative medicine, weight management, sleep, and the chronobiology of performance and health. He was the editor of the journal Alternative Medicine Review and has taught classes in advanced clinical nutrition, counseling skills, and doctor-patient relationships at the University of Bridgeport in the College of Naturopathic Medicine. His book, Shapeshift, provides practical guidance on how to achieve optimal health and wellness through diet, exercise, and lifestyle modifications. You can find Neurohacker Collective on Instagram and stay up to speed with all the science that they publish, as well as I'll put links in the show notes of how to access the people who are involved in Neurohacker Collective that I quote often on this podcast. A bit about Neurohacker Collective. It was founded in 2015 with the mission of creating best-in-class well-being products by employing a unique methodology to research and development based on complex system science. Now, what I love about Dr. Gregory Kelly is that he can explain this complex science in a way that even I can understand it. On today's episode, we're going to cover what are the keystone species and what role do they play in shaping our gut ecosystem? We'll look at probiotics, prebiotics, postbiotics, and symbiotics and find out what's the difference And we covered this thoroughly on our last episode, 304. We'll look at breaking up some myths about probiotics and prebiotics, how to fix the gut imbalances and prevent disease in our body, and what we'll notice if we actually take Qualia Symbiotic, this ultimate digestive health formula. I also want to find out Dr. Kelly's favorite science-backed ingredients to support optimal digestion, immune function, and key aspects of this gut-brain connection. And I couldn't help but ask Dr. Kelly what he thinks about neurogenesis. Can we really generate new brain cells? And then I wanna find out what's exciting for him these days to think about in the field of health and wellness. Let's welcome Dr. Gregory Kelly back to the Neuroscience Meets SEL podcast from Neurohacker Collective. Welcome back, Dr. Gregory Kelly, for the second time on the podcast. Welcome. Thanks for having me again. Oh, this is so exciting. We were just talking about how we're doing, and and I said so much better since I met you five months ago. Which is, I love hearing things like that. So I'm, I'm sure you must hear it a lot. And I've got to say, though, that when I opened up our last interview, I was a huge fan of Neurohacker Collective and what you've built over there with all the great minds in health and wellness. But I didn't have any background on the products until we met and I had a chance to try these. So this is a different experience for me now to have been using Qualia Synalytics and now get into the Qualia Symbiotic. So this is exciting today. Good. Well, there's a lot of cool things to talk about when it comes to gut health and the gut-brain axis. So I think the audience is going to love this show. It's very timely because uh, I can see everyone's talking about it now. So, you know, I just want to thank you again for coming back on the podcast. And really, it's it's for helping me to understand the science behind the advanced products that you've created, because this is it's high tech stuff. This is not you've put every a lot of thought into this, a lot of science 
and then connecting the gut to the brain to our mood. Uh, I'm really excited to make these connections today. No, thank you. Yeah, we we spend we being the neurohacker science team spend a lot of time researching ingredients, how things work before it ever gets to a product like Quaya Symbiotic. So, right, and 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 that's what I put the link to your episode in the show notes as well as the last episode because it's it's pretty intense the the thought process that you went through picking out what ingredients go in, what affects what. So, you know, you, I know you're going to talk about it today, but so, and and I mentioned my first question, in order to even create the questions for you, I actually had to listen and do research and figure out what really is probiotics, prebiotics, and postbiotics. You know, there's, there's a lot to understand. So I encourage people to listen to that episode I did uh, previous that kind of explains the background to it. But my biggest question before we even begin is where did you come up with the idea of creating something for digestion in the first place? So this actually, the credit for this goes to one of our like scientific advisors, one of the doctors that we, um, you know, periodically ask for their feedback or their input into projects. And oh, it's probably about two years ago now, I was having a talk with him and I said, what would be the most exciting thing for you to work on? Or, and for us as Neurohacker Collective to offer as a product that we don't currently have. And like no hesitation. He's like hundred percent, like something with gut health. Like that's, I just see that so much in my practice and, you know, I have some solutions I use, but the, the, I could definitely use a better solution there. And so that he was the inspiration for it. And then because the gut brain axis is so prevalent, like you can't really do the gut without impacting the gut brain axis. It just seemed like an easy sell to the rest of the neurohacker team, why we should be doing a product in this area. Well, what's interesting when I released that first episode explaining, you know, what is the gut brain connection? So many people wrote back with their stories, like back in 2016, this happened to me and everyone was giving me their gut brain story. And I think we all have one. I've got one when I was just standing in front of the stove going, what am I supposed to cook? Like nothing makes me feel right. There's something that's wrong with what I'm eating and impacting me. And that took me to researching certain people and certain diets, but everybody's different. So we've all got to kind of come on, on our own path. So I thought it was brilliant once you, you know, had this vision for prebiotics, probiotics, and then postbiotics all in one. So what exactly does this mean, this symbiotic vision for our gut brain and microbiome? Yeah. So biotic has to do with like a, about life is kind of how it translates, right? So antibiotic would be against life, right? It would kill bacteria. And so probiotic was something as a term that that predates even antibiotic. It goes back to um, a Russian researcher about a hundred years ago, but it was the, generally it would be in favor of life, right? And the idea was at the time he had noticed that these um, mountainous people in Bulgaria were eating a yogurt-like thing all the time, and we're very healthy at older ages. And he thought, oh, maybe it's the fermentation, like the live bacteria that they're consuming that's making a difference, and hence the probiotic, like in favor of life. And prebiotic is a newer term, and that emerged, and pre just means before, so almost before life. 
But the way to think of a prebiotic would be it's the thing that the bacteria and I got rely on for food. Just like us, they have to eat. They need energy. And prebiotics are the things that give them that food supply. And then postbiotic is a much newer, I think I've only seen that term in the last decade. Um, and that emerged from this idea that you can inactivate, say, you know, like heat, inactivate or sterilize bacteria and take them the same way you might have taken a live probiotic organism and still get health benefits. And so postbiotics think of as the like those same probiotic organisms, but now they've been inactivated. They've been killed off. So what we're eating is kind of their cells, their cell structure, the debris from that. And that turns out to be really powerful impacting our gut immune system. It's friendlier for lack of a better way to describe it. And then we'll talk about ecosystems in a little bit, but in an ecosystem sense, think of like probiotics being like the live plants and animals that are living, you know, whether that's Yellowstone Park or you name your ecosystem. Um, the prebiotics are the food, the energy that's coming, you know, some of that's the sunlight, some of it's the plant that grows, right? It's, they need that food supply. And the postbiotics would be the equivalent of the dead and dying, the decaying trees that have fallen over, the, the animals that may have died, but now are feeding vultures or other things that subsist on them. And so a healthy ecosystem needs all, like without the, what they would call the abiotic, like the dead and dying parts of the ecosystem, the ecosystem would cease to thrive. So in part, when we conceded this product, we were like, oh, well, we want to have a super healthy gut ecosystem. So we need to make sure all the things a regular ecosystem uses to thrive are represented in our product. Well, it's interesting now that I'm so focused on this. I was at Costco and I'm seeing some fermented foods and I threw it in. I thought, you know, I'm going to try this because I don't know. I hear Dr. Huberman talking about how he eats it. And do you need to add anything if you're already taking this? Do you personally do anything in in, in addition to this or what, what do you do? Well, I mean, yes. I mean, I, I still eat um, a good diet. So I would say... Part of after getting my head much more in this, and I've interviewed a few experts, um, authors for um, uh, that have written books on the the gut and the gut brain. Um, I have another one I'll be doing for a, a woman that wrote a book called Ten Percent Human um, here in the near future. But the gist of um, what all of these people that this is their main focus invariably come back to is almost think like, okay, we need to feed ourselves. But we also need to feed all the, the microbiota that live in our gut. So one big change for me since I started working on this isn't necessarily what I eat, but it's like, oh, did I give them something that they can eat during this meal as well? And if I didn't, then that's when for sure I'll take a scoop of quiet symbiotic. But in in general, what it like the the one thing that's shifted is that I'm just much more attentive to now, okay, did I have maybe if I'm not having quiet symbiotic at that meal, did I have a good source of of fiber? You know, maybe you know, something with live bacteria like, you know, a yogurt or a kefir or fermented vegetables or, you know, a fermented pickle, right? Things like that. And then the like the other part is, I mean, bacteria can live, you know, like some bacteria will love fats, like, oh, you're going keto, great. Like you know, the sub subgroup of them will like, I got this. Other ones will do well with leftover protein, but those things have to get to them to be food. So even like, think of like, 
meat as an example, like a, a cut of lamb or, or beef will have fat and grizzle, like texture, right? Okay. Where like chicken nuggets as an example, like that's a, a homogenized chicken, right? It's made to be smoother. And the, well, more of that steak or piece of lamb will survive the transit through our upper GI and still some make it to feed some of those bacteria. So the other thing, like, I guess the big thing that I think of and that maybe for the audience is just think like, you know, be attentive to feeding yourself, but be attentive that part of that, you know, is also feeding the organisms living within you because they're doing a lot of things to help you be healthy. I love how it's such a paradigm change when we're learning how to eat properly. You know, remembering when I didn't understand this, now I have a whole different picture of what am I, what am I eating and why, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I would say quality symbiotic, I guess, to get back to your question, wouldn't replace healthy eating. It just augments it. It gives, um, like I said, it's, you know, if, if that was the only thing you did, even on a bad diet, it would be a major improvement. What we've seen, we've done two small studies now where we've measured GI performance. And um, in one, we asked about things like stress and, you know, like how calm centered, you know, mood, things like that. And we saw in just three weeks, so um, not even a full canon, we saw about a 60% decrease in stress, people feeling more calm, right? So like when we do things to nourish the gut microbiome better, we generally have not only rocking GI performance compared to before, but it can like profoundly affect things that are in that stress and mood type of brain category. I can understand that. And can you just give some background into what happened this past January with the hallmarks of aging, how they went from nine to 12, what was missing and what's there now? And why is this so important? Yeah. So the authors that wrote the paper in 2013 titled the hallmarks of aging had nine that they defined. And the, these are characteristics that aging organisms, whether it's, you know, of a fly, a worm, a, a mouse, a primate like us or monkeys share in common. And the original nine were things like senescent cells that quasinolytic was intended to address, telomeres, damage to DNA, things like that. And over the last, well, the ensuing time, um, they've had conferences and, the, you know, the smarter people in that space have got together and said, hey, you know, did we do a good job? Are we missing things? And this um, January, they published an updated paper called The Hallmarks of Aging, an Expanding Universe, and added three new ones. And so one was um, chronic inflammation. So inflammaging is how docs often, you know, discuss it. You know, like we just, as we get older, people tend to have like this low level chronic inflammation that impacts all kinds of systems, tissues, organs in our body, brain being prominent among those. Um, they also added autophagy, which a, a lot of biohackers know that term, but autophagy is this process of recycling damaged proteins and organelles within cells. So um, it it's different than senescence. Senescence, you're talking about a whole cell. Autophagy, you're talking about some damage within it. Um, I was in the Navy when in my first career. And I think of like senescence would mean the ship sinking where you're like, 
um, you know, autophagy is like, oh, we this piece of equipment is damaged. Let's fix it. So autophagy was the second. And then the third one was dysbiosis. So the fundamental realization that as people get older, their gut microbiome changes in ways that are problematic. And dysbiosis is a general term. Again, health practitioners tend to use, meaning the gut microbiome is disrupted. It's, it's not doing a great job um, which may or may not be felt in GI symptoms. It, it often is, but the metabolites they make and the other things they're doing to affect our whole system. Because just like there's the gut brain axis is a gut joint axis and a gut muscle axis and a gut skin axis. So the, the gut and the gut microbiome in large part, because so much of our immune system is in the gut impact every other system in the body. And so that, that was the, you know, the other big added in, which I think is um, really important because it it's probably one of the most actionable areas as we get older. Oh, it is. It is. And understanding it is the key. And then just taking it to the next question, what should we know about the gut brain ecosystem and how does it influence the choices of food that we're going to gravitate towards? I thought that was interesting that when when it's healthy, you're going to gravitate towards certain foods. When it's not, you're going to want to eat unhealthy foods. Is that how it works? Yeah. So the this is more being so the, the researchers like it would be hard to like pin them down like in absolutes. But there are some studies, and there's definitely this belief that um, think of like th- think of if you have a pet. That pet probably has certain foods it likes, maybe other foods, not so much, right? And if you're not feeding it, it'll pressure you to feed it, right? Like, you know, and sometimes you'll see TikTok videos. It's comical what pets will do, right? When they're wanting food. Um, so the idea is that our our gut microbiota are the same. If we've been, say, feeding something, like say we've been giving resistant starch, we've, we've had plenty in our diet, the organisms that thrive on resistant starch, which is a type of fiber, will have now blossomed, right? Like they're thriving in that ecosystem. And all of a sudden, you know, for a couple of days, we don't eat resistant starch. We're starting to starve them. And so the idea is through the gut-brain axis, they're basically now pinging us like, hey, I'm hungry, right? And so, you know, maybe we open the cupboard and all of a sudden, the, or the refrigerator and something with resistant starch, like potato salad, or we're walking through, you know, like near me, I shop at Sprouts or Fraser Farms, like all of a sudden, no, oh, the potato salad's calling me today. That's weird. <laughs> yeah. right? So that's, that's this idea that they can nudge our behaviors in ways. And that's just one example with, with food. Um, but it was one of the things when I first was on Symbiotic, um, I originally just took it in water um, alone, right? Just so like, I wouldn't be confused with other foods or like a juice that I might put it in because I wanted to send a clear message. And then what I always self-talk. <laughs> so like, all right, got microbiome. This is for you. Like yeah. you learn about it and you let me know when you need it. So now there'll be days where I would have forgot. And all of a sudden, like eight at night, eight thirty at night, I'm doing something else. And it's like my brain, like, oh, we want qualia symbiotic. So like, like not in those words, right? But it just all of a sudden pushes into my awareness, like, oh, we haven't done this yet, which that wouldn't normally happen with a supplement for me. So I think they've gotten used to eating what's in it. <laughs> they want to yeah. make sure they're they're going to get it. 
most days. So, yeah, I did that too. When I first was taking it, I didn't put it in this typical um, green drink that I exercise with uh, a BCAA drink that, that I usually have. So I didn't put it in that, but then I enjoyed in that now. So I've got it, the two together, it works really well. And and the taste is just phenomenal, um, as well as just the energy that I feel from it. It's just an overall happy, healthy feeling. That's all I can explain. It's balancing in some way that I know is far beyond my comprehension. Yeah, what, and I think, you know, we talk about complex systems a lot at Neurohacker, but one of the things with complex systems is you have to almost from the get-go release this idea that you're ever going to be smart enough to figure it all out or control everything. Because if you take just the gut ecosystem, right, the gut microbiome, there's about a thousand different species of bacteria. There's also viruses, many more viruses than that, and archaea and other things. But we'll just stick with those thousand species. They make somewhere 100,000 metabolites, you know, short chain fatty acids, things that affect our um, immune system, neuro, they make neurotransmitters. Actually, most melatonin, most serotonin are made in the gut as examples. About half our dopamine is made in our gut. So they're making all those things. About 70% of our immune systems in our gut, our second brain, the enteric nervous system, which is hundreds of thousands of neurons, lines our digestive tract. And in a complex system, these things are all interacting with each other, right? So it's, it's hard enough to figure out how two or three things are going to interact. We're talking like, you know, trillions and trillions of interactions. And so that's why I think principles matter so much when you take, you know, like you approach something like gut health. And it's why that like most of the, um, the gut brain researchers I've interviewed all come back to thinking of it as an ecosystem, and and that frees you up because then it's like okay well if, if Yellowstone or another ecosystem was suffering what would need to happen for it to thrive and those things are not hard to figure out right like probably needs more energy probably needs reintroduction of keystone species which I know in your notes you wanted to get to um, it's going to need not only you know the live things but like the abiotic right the the dead and decaying but also what would be like think of your soil, like, you know, fertilizer, minerals, things in that, right? Like, so it's the inputs you put in and then just trust that it's going to do a good job self-regulating, which that's the cool thing about most ecosystems. They will, if they're given the right resources and you remove obstacles that were in the way. Now, I love how now we're taking control of our health and understanding it in a way that is helping us rather than where I was, you know, 10 years ago, standing at the stove going, I have no idea what I'm doing. And, and when I first interviewed Dr. Viusich, he's one of your neuro collective people. Um, I told him that I didn't really understand what I was doing when I was taking a probiotic. And I I'm still the same when I'm standing there at the fridge, or I'm going to go buy new ones. I I'm picking the packet that has the highest CFUs on there. I'm thinking marketing. It's like, and so maybe can you perhaps break up some myths about probiotics and prebiotics and, you know, what, what should we, you know, change with how we're approaching them? Yeah. So like our head of marketing had some of the same questions and she takes her young daughters to the San Diego zoo all the time. 
So I, I said, okay, well, let's just like talk about this as if it's the zoo. So the, the things that live in the zoo, those would be the equivalent of our, the gut microbiota that we've been talking about, right? It's the animals and plants. That's just, that's their home. And most people think a probiotic is like that. I'll take a probiotic and like now I have a new animal in the zoo, but that's not how probiotics work. Probiotics would be more like her and her daughters that are passing through the zoo or the people that are going there every day to do work to make the zoo more pleasant for the people that are going there and the animals that live there. So like the first thing to understand with probiotics is that probiotics aren't intended, no matter what marketing may say, to see our digestive system. They're, what they do is as they pass through, they make the environment healthier so that the things that are living there can thrive. And so, so that's one thing. The other would be CFU means colony forming units. So that's like how many cells fundamentally you're you're taking of the live probiotics. And um, I mentioned we had about a thousand different species and collectively there's at least a trillion, right? Maybe more. And they all have their own ecological niches. They found their own cage in the zoo and they're not going to give it up easily. So taking a probiotic, no matter how many CFU, it's not like you're going to bounce these other animals out of their cages. Like they're good there, right? Like they've figured out how to do well. So the, I like the reason you'll see sometimes, you know, like, oh, we have 20 billion CFU. That's mostly going to be marketing. But the one thing to pay attention is that when I think of live bacteria, there's ones that are in like fully developed lactobacillus, bifidobacteria. And there's, there's ones that are more like seeds. So they've formed a shell. They're called spore forming or soil-based organisms. And the the first ones, the lactobacillus, the acidophilus, I remember talking, I mean, this probably goes back almost 20 years to an expert that worked at a company that made, like grew the probiotic organisms. And they're like, oh, well, you know, before we can put them you know, like in the powder to sell you, we, you know, we grow them in some media, then we centrifuge it off. So they would spin them really fast to separate it from the media. And then we have to refrigerate them because now they're stressed. Like they don't have a home, they don't have food, right? So that's the refrigeration part. So part of the reason why you'll see these crazy high CFU counts is you're giving stressed versions of these, right? That have been taken outside of their living environment. So the, that's why you refrigerate them. You're almost suspended animation so that they don't die off because they're fragile at that point. And then the other reason is that most bacteria aren't suited to survive stomach acid that just like digests them like it would protein in our steak or lamb or fish or you name it. Um, and then the enzymes in our small intestine often will clean up most of the rest that do survive that. So part of the reason for the crazy high CFU accounts is because that's the only way to get some to survive that journey. Where spores, you'll see much lower CFU count because they're much more resilient. They're like a seed that until the environment's right, they just stay hunkered down in their shell. So they pass through that stomach acid, the upper GI, no problem. You don't have to refrigerate them because they're more dormant until the situation's right for them to burst into full life. And so, um, you know, the key thing with any anything, right, is to take the amount that's going to do the job. And um, with, I know, like lactospore is one of the spore probiotics we use in quiet symbiotic. 
that's been studied as, as little as a couple hundred million, which sounds like a lot, right? That's still a lot, um, up to 2 billion. And 2 billion, they had a great grain, gut brain study that impacted both brain health, mood, stress, as well as um, GI health. So saying, oh, like, well, 4,000 is better wouldn't be the way to frame it. Like 2,000 did the job. More than that, now like, oh, well, did we now just put twice as many people, tourists in the zoo? Now we're struggling to accommodate all those people, right? Like we've added too much into the system. And an interesting mindset shift to think that more isn't always better when it comes to balancing our gut. When I heard you explain that before, I thought I've got to have you do it again because this is important. A lot of us don't know what we're taking. Yeah, because well, all of these live probiotic bacteria, just like the living microbiota that's resident in our gut is interacting with our gut lining, our gut immune cells. And, and you know, part of the reason that it's that balance, right? So if we all of a sudden like, oh, well, let's just take a trillion CFU, right? That's going to be a crazy challenge for our gut immune system and an unnecessary one. So so you found the the balance that works for yeah most people everyone is it would you say so um what i know i look at is the consistency of studies so you know the 2 billion cfu for that particular spore is the most consistent dose it's been given long term it's been used for decades i've used it you know in um, back when i was in practice with patients as well so i'm very confident in that but would I be confident in doing two, three, four times as much? No, personally, I wouldn't. Interesting. So now that you've explained some myths and really changed our minds here about what probiotics and prebiotics are not, what about how they work together? How can you restore an imbalance in your gut? Like all these people that came to me and said, yeah, like back 10 years ago, that was my stomach was a mess and and I fixed it this way. Everyone has their own story. So how do we fix our gut imbalance if we're not doctors ourselves? Well, I I think, to, um, so I like to think of making sure the whole system is supported. So usually doctors will slice and dice the GI into upper GI issues and lower GI. And so by upper GI, think of that, like that's, you know, our small intestines, our stomach and, and above. And that's things like, you know, acid reflux, as an example, would be an upper GI or that feeling like, you know, you didn't digest something, you know, in the hour or two after a meal, like that, you know, fullness and bloating and things like that. And then lower GI is much more about our stools, right? Like um, loose stools, hard stools, you know, bowel habits, things like that. It's, it's, it's a colon, right? Large intestine. And, um, and the way the system works is the upper flows into the lower. So if the upper is doing a good job digesting, then, you know, what gets to the lower will be better used by that system. And so th those would be, you had mentioned it in the notes that you'd share with me, like digestive enzymes. Someone had mentioned years ago to you to take um, papaya, right? Pa um, papaya has something called papain. Pineapple has something called bromelain. And those are mostly thought of as proteolytic enzymes, so protein digesting 
enzymes, but there's other enzymes that would specialize for lactose as an example, right? So an enzyme called lactase. There's enzymes that help us with cellulose, which is the, the, a less digestible thing in plants. Like it's what gives them structure. Um, and there's lipase that helps break down fats as an example. So one of the things that we added in the quiescin symbiotic was a, a blend of five digestive enzymes that have been clinically studied. They've been, believe it or not, they've been studied in two contexts. One was for GI, mostly upper GI, um, but the other was actually recovery from exercise because um, these things off like have a reputation because of like breaking down proteins taken away from food. They often can help overcome like tissue trauma. So once the upper GI is like working a bit better, then you know, like most of the support. So the things you mentioned, like the prebiotics, the probiotics, the postbiotics, the fermented food, those are all now targeted at the gut ecosystem that in that lower part, because that's where, that's where the gut brain axis really comes to life and where most of the immune system is interacting because almost all the bacteria in our digestive system reside in that, that lower part. And that's how our mood is impacted because now it goes up to our brain and the chemicals, the neurotransmitters. Yeah. So there's, there's a couple different ways that the gut brain axis communication happens. So one, the vagal nerve goes directly from the gut to the brain and it's bi-directional, meaning some messages are going in each direction, but about 90% of the traffic is going from the gut up to the brain. So you know, that's directly affecting us. But then the gut, I mentioned, makes a lot of metabolites. Um, Short-chain fatty acids are by far the most studied. These are things like butyrate or acetate as examples. And those will get, like butyrate will be used to keep the cells in our intestine healthy, but some of it is also absorbed through our bloodstream. And then, so that's affecting our brain. And then the immune system, like the, the local interaction of, you know, the bacterial organisms and their metabolites in our gut are impacting our local immune system, but then they're communicating to our whole body because that's the front line of things getting in, right? Like the we think of our GI tract as being inside of us, but it's also exposed to the outside world, right? And so that that's you know most or you know like seventy percent of our immune system is there because that's the front line where the vast majority of things that would affect us negatively are getting in through that, you know, others maybe through our respiratory, you know, like breathing, things like that. So anyways, that, um, that those three things would be among the main, right? Metabolites that are absorbed, systemic impact of how the gut's interacting with immune cells and then the vagal nerve. Now, this is so helpful because most of us have not been taught this, right? And so when I look at this and it says optimized digestion, now I have a different picture. I understand probiotics, prebiotics, and postbiotics. And then now I'm thinking, how is this impacting my brain and my mood? So, and and you've got optimized digestion right on the front here. How would you describe this to somebody that is saying, you know, tell me about qualia symbiotic without explaining this whole big scientific background? How would you simply and easily explain it? No, I'm I'm not the best at simple explanations. Probably your audience has already figured that out. But um, what I would say is something to the the effect of 
for our gut to be healthy and for them to make the rest of us healthy, it needs the right, right ingredients. It needs the right, you know, mix of, you know, live probiotics, fermented foods, prebiotics, and quality symbiotic gives you all those. So no matter what you're getting in the rest of your diet, you've got at least the foundation covered. And I tend to think of it as like we've joked about doing like a little image, like the Mediterranean pyramid at some point, like, but we've been joking as the psychobiotic, right? Like the gut brain pyramid. And I think of what qualia symbiotic does is it's that whole foundation, that whole bottom layer is covered. So now whatever else you're doing, you've got that done. Now, like it's going to be hard to go really wrong, even if the rest of your diet's not, uh, you That's know, impeccable. Awesome. That's helpful. And so what do people uh, feel when they're taking it? We've we've talked about impacting mood, um, feeling happier and healthier. That's what I noticed for sure. Um, what What is actually in it that's making that happen? So I would say that's more about the metabolites that the gut microbiota makes because they're getting what's in it than what's in it. Now, there are things like we use a fermented turmeric. And turmeric's got, you know, quite a few studies on the gut. It's got quite a few on the brain, but not at the amount that we're using of the fermented turmeric. We're using it more to deliver postbiotic, like it, the, what it was fermented with. Um, the same, we, we have a fermented kombucha, which is, uses uh, mountain-grown tea leaves, right? So it would have some of the same benefits you would get from, you know, like drinking tea and teas, you know, well-known for some cognitive effects. But again, I think a lot of the benefits are because of the fermentation of the tea more than that and the metabolites and other things. So we've consistently seen like one of the, um, one of the, the person that's worked with you to schedule the podcast on our team um, has taken it. She tends to take it at night. And the reason she does is like, Oh, it just makes me feel so much like, nicer at night, like calmer. Um, And I originally, my first two containers, I took exclusively when I first woke up in the morning, mostly just because it was easy to to do. I wanted to get, you know, it at the beginning of the day away from other food at the beginning. And I was like, oh, well, I'll take it, you know, now I'll try other times too. And, you know, I, I, I haven't, um, like my experience isn't doesn't match hers, right? Like I don't really notice a change in my mood when at at night. But like I said, for me, I notice almost its absence. If I don't take it, I get this niggling pressure. <laughs> it uh, seems to build like, please take this. So and then like I was re- measuring my waist circumference for the like the first 30 days um once a week. And I Again, I was taking the unflavored version. We have a flavored and unflavored away from food and noticed I dropped about not quite two inches on my waist. And I was trying to make sure that I kept everything else the same, right? So, um, you know, but that would be me, right? That was my end of one experience. I wouldn't, you know, like we don't have, you know, data on that. So the, the things I would tell like for sure that we've seen over and over again now in the two small studies and, the feedback we've got from customers is both upper GI challenges, lower GI improve a lot and quickly. We generally would see within a week, big changes in those. And then moods a little bit slower. Like I, I 
like honestly my expectation when we created this i would probably see mood 30 to 60 days show up in a meaningful way but we're seeing it within a couple of weeks so definitely a couple of weeks for me for sure so if you were to think about and i see now behind you because now i use them i recognize them the quality of products that you've created now I'm using um, the mind. My husband and I use these. We are definitely locked in with our work in the day. Um, we use the life where we take six pills twice a month. Um, and I'm hope I'm taking it right. That's that's the right way to get rid of my zombie cells. My that's no, that's the senolytic that should be no, taken. Though it's oh. in a little white box. Um oh. it's this one. Oh, got it. Okay, so I need to change that. So I need that polysynthetic, and then I'm doing the skin, yeah, self because I'm not getting any younger, and then still the night, um, helping me to doze off and stuff. What do you think yourself personally? Um, what are your favorite ones to use, and how are you? What are you noticing yourself? So, um, so I do quality So this is our, like you mentioned, zombie cells and what we spoke about last time. This is the two days once a month. So I do it the first weekend of every month. Um, I do, it's called qualia vision, yeah. but it was, I'm on screens a lot. And um, that was created intentionally to help people with what would be, I think of as screen time stress, like the eye strain we get when we're on screens a lot. So I take that most um, days if I'm going to be on a computer a lot. I take skin a lot myself, um, especially I live in sunny San Diego, and there's quite a bit in it that helps our our skin um, to be resilient to the environment, which for me, I, you know, I want to be able to enjoy the sun, but I also want to make sure my skin's, you know, well-nourished to be able to adapt well to that. Qualia Mind. Um, so we have a couple different nootropics. Qualia Mind's our flagship product and by far our, our biggest seller. But we also have an energy shot. That's it's not quite the same ingredients, but it does. It's intended to do the same thing. So since I take so many other capsules, since I consume all our products too, I'll yeah. often drink that in lieu of taking the the Qualia Mind capsules. So, and then currently. Like I took quiet night a lot, the sleep product. Um, actually, I was before we ever made it, I was the guinea pig that was testing most of these things and measuring sleep. And um, but my sleep, um, I, I feel really fortunate because my sleep is excellent and always has it's just not something I've ever struggled with, which is, um, there, there's I've worked with enough people. I know that I'm not in the majority camp, right? Many people struggle with sleep. So quality at night, I'm much more prone just to take in the winter personally, because I don't need it for sleep. What I like about taking it is it always makes my hands feel like a little bit warm and cozy. So I love that in the, when the, the weather gets a little cooler at night. And so I take it more to experience like that calm, relaxed post-dinner evening time since my sleep doesn't seem to need that extra support. Oh, that's cool. I think I'm going to make some changes. And and since I talked to you, I did LASIK with my, with my eyes. Uh-huh. And so it's funny how something can completely change you. Like I used to struggle with sleep and now I, it's hard to get up in the morning because I'm so tired. So oh. maybe vision, the vision one would help with 
you know, just getting up and going, do you think? Or is it mostly no, well, in the, front of the computer? The visual system, I mean, it's for the visual system, right? And the visual system, like when I think of that system, you have the front of the eye, right? So that Lasix is more the front of the eye. Then you have the back of the eye, which is the retina. And then you have the whole visual part of the brain that's connected to the retina. And then you have all the eye muscles that you know, move our, our eye, you know, and open and close our pupils. And so quality of vision, eye strain actually is uh, impacts all those things. Front of the eye, back of the eye, visual brain, the poor muscles that get, you know, like, like imagine holding a phone this close and looking at it for 50 minutes in a row, like those muscles, if you were to measure them, they'd be like quivering the same way you would be if you're asked to like hold a dumbbell, you know, um, in a position for 40 minutes. So quiet vision was meant to support all of those things. And, but those impact all kinds, like any area of vision. Um, but when I think of LASIKs, that's usually more like that would be what um, is thought of as visual acuity, right? Our 2020 vision. And um, and the plants, because most of what's in quality vision are just super, it's, I used to joke, oh, it's a rainbow of plant pigments, right? We've got, you know, yellow from marigold flowers, and we've got green from amla, which is an Ayurvedic fruit. And we've got, um, you know, red from lycopene and tomatoes and these other things. And what, what happens is those, oh, we have like that purple blue from um, bilberry, which is a blueberry relative. And all of those pigments do somewhat different things, keeping our eye and our visual system healthy. So, so that's, that it's, it's one of our poorest selling products, but it's arguably my favorite <laughs> after the symbiotic product. I wondered if it's because most people just don't understand what it's the use of it is for. Yeah, I think that would, for us at least, that's always a big part of it. Like we've we've obviously never got the messaging down right for people to understand it because um, Nick Bitts, another naturopathic doctor that's on our team, he and I, uh, you know, like we've pre-symbiotic, both of us would have said Vision was our favorite product. It just is never translated into sales. And I think most people just don't realize all of the the work their visual system is doing in the background. And what little they understand is just that visual acuity piece. But our eyes are also, like as an example, think of like, you know, humans, like, you know, historically, you know, that um, we need to be able to be pick out, you know, the fruit from the tree, like our like this green from that green, right? That, that has to do with con color contrast. We have to be able to see movement and things out of our peripheral vision. And so our, our visual system just is doing a huge amount of things. And it, it may be, you know, for most of sighted humans, it's by far the most active part of the brain is the visual part of the brain. So. And I, I just learned that the eyes are actually an extension of the brain, right? They're a part yeah. of the brain just outside of it. Yeah, when I said like that back of the eye, the retina, that would be considered part of the brain. The the lens, the front of the eye, you know, not so much, right? It's but the back of the eye is wired right in to the visual parts of the brain. So now this helps me understand all your products. And I've got to ask you a question here that I'm stumped on because 
as I'm listening and learning myself and trying to, you know, get a hold of this to explain on the podcast, there are certain things that are controversial that someone says, oh, you can do this. And someone else says you can't. And it's about neurogenesis. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder, what do you think? Can we grow brain cells through exercise or can this only happen in the hippocampus? What do you think about neurogenesis? So like, the, I think there's, two things that often get mixed up. So neurogenesis, as you mentioned, is like about growing new neurons. And neuroplasticity is about reshaping the brain's landscape, right? Like changing the connections between existing neurons. And so different cells, like the cells in your liver replace each other, you know, once every one to three years, your muscle cells, maybe every seven hearts, long live cells, like they live about 40 years, but neurons are intended to last a lifetime. So it used to be thought that neurogenesis after childhood just didn't happen. Um, More recently, they found a limited amount of neurogenesis when they look at mice and rats, because those, um, and in humans, there's a, a, and it's there's contradictory evidence is what it boils down to. But at most, there's maybe a little bit of neurogenesis that happens in our hippocampus, which is a big memory part of the brain, and in our olfactory part of our brain, like so sense of smell. So, um, so at best, it's limited, and and would only impact those two things. And at worst, like there's none. But there would also be almost like progenitor cells, like cells that aren't that they were already birthed, so they don't need neurogenesis, but they haven't fin- find, found their final purpose yet. And those neurons could be adapted into new things. And then the key thing is the neuroplasticity, right? No matter, you know, any time we like focus attention on something then, and the brain gets it's important, it's going to reshape itself to match that. And the the key things for neuroplasticity, and, and this oversimplifies a crazy, you know, complicated process, but think of, we need to like focus our attention on something, right? We need to convince the brain it's important, which usually happens through then repetition of that focus. And then we ideally need to interact with the outside world. So like if you decided, if both of us say, oh, let's, I've never juggled before, but over the next 30 days, let's learn to juggle. Like our brain would reshape itself if we practice juggling every day, right? So that doesn't require neurogenesis though. Neuroplasticity would be sufficient. So I'm, I'm, I generally um, would argue for the possibility. So I would be in the camp that says, oh, it's probably possible and for most of the things we're asking the brain to do, it's not relevant. This is fascinating. Dr. Kelly, to sum this all up, have I missed anything that's important about everything you've created with qualia, symbiotic, as well as uh, all your everything else that you've created at Neurohacker Collective? No, but the one thing I would say just to the audience is I, I'm... So I, I think two things. One, when you start something new, don't doesn't mean you have to start everything new at the same time. What I saw routinely in practice and with other naturopathic doctors is that you know often the tendency is like, oh, well, I'll just start all these new things, right? Like if this is good, these five new things will be even better. 
And that often then just adds to overwhelm. So, you know, if, for someone listening, you know, maybe pick one of our products that seems like, oh, this is the one that's calling to me. Like my brain needs support or my vision or, you know, like gut brain access to gut. Like I'll start with that one. So start simply. And then the other thing is that, you know, quite often success is as much about pruning things away as adding new things. So, you know, what I saw sometimes working with patients is they would hear about a new supplement and come in and say, oh, Dr. Greg, I want to, like, I heard about, well, not, we'll just say quality symbiotic. I want to take that. And it's like, well, you're already taking this and this that are already overlap. Can we prune these right. away? Right. right. So. Yep. I started doing that as well. And, and that's, it's fun when you can get rid of some things. And now with understanding, I'm making better decisions overall, which is the key for everything that we're doing is to improve ourselves a little bit more each day, right? Yeah. And then, you know, this gets more just into that woo-woo, you know, my belief in. But like I said, when I take our products, you know, I'll often, you know, say either silently or out loud, like, oh, like with quality symbiotic, like gut gut microbiota, the bacteria that like you're doing a great job for me, here's some food for you. You know, like you let me know if you need more or, you know, and, um, I used to just kind of partition the world into there's like, you know, a control and trust my body camps. Like, you know, I just, um, my goal is to just create more and more trust that my body's got that, that my job is just to make sure I give it the resources and then try to, you know, pay attention to it. Right. And interoception, yeah. right? That's listening. yeah. Interoception. Yep. Yeah. And I, I'm not particularly visual. Like we, we all have a, um, think of like, um, the ability to do like guided imagery as on a continuum. Some people like crazy vivid movies, almost other people, you know, will see pictures, but maybe not quite as well. I'm a visual, I don't see anything. So, but like the way things work is when you, we have less of something, we often have more of something else. So I have a really strong interoception and kinesthetic sense about things. So like I, I, when I pay attention to my body, it, it always feels, and I might be delusional, but it always feels like it's communicating with me, maybe in the way pictures would work for someone else. Right. And I'm highly visual on the picture side of things, see yeah. and feel things. So we're talking you're talking my language. So this is, it's fun. But Dr. Kelly, I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast a second time. Um, we're huge fans of Qualius Analytic over here, um, using everything that we talked about today, as well as the Qualia Symbiotic. Um, it's just making all of us feel happier and healthier. Um, I want to acknowledge you for helping us to be proactive with our health and wellness with these advanced products. This is you know, so much science has gone into this and helping us to all move a little bit more towards wellness and then explaining, like taking the time to meet with me tonight when, you know, you could be doing your work, but I want to thank you so much for taking the time to work through the science with me so that I can better explain it to others. And I look forward to what you're going to create next, and I'll always be one of your biggest fans. Thanks so much, oh. Dr. Kelly. Well, thank you so much for having me back again. It's always a delight. You're the most prepared of any <laughs> podcast host that I've ever interacted with.
because I don't want to make a mistake, right? I want to kind of be able to ask the right questions. Thanks so much. Oh, my pleasure. Some final thoughts. I never want to take for granted the opportunity that I have as the host of this podcast to get to learn firsthand from leading experts and innovators around the world, connecting to some of the top thought leaders in the field of neuroscience. I don't want to ever show up unprepared with any guest, as I want to take the messages that we'll uncover to higher levels than what we could do if I didn't dig deep and put some thought into what I was going to ask our guests. I'll always connect past episodes to current ones as we're all connected and all episodes are relevant to move us forward with our levels of productivity and achievement. If you take one look at Dr. Kelly's Neurohacker Collective team, you'll see what I mean. These are all the leaders in the industry who are moving the needle for the rest of the world. Sometimes the aha moments of learning don't show up for me right away. I need some time to think and process them. But on today's episode, they came right at the end when Dr. Kelly was suggesting that we pick one product that seems to be calling to you. If you have issues with your gut, he said, try Qualia Symbiotic and see if something shifts for you. If you need more focus during your day, Qualia Mind does it for me and it locks me being able to hold my focus for longer periods of time during my workday. So here's my first aha moment of learning with Dr. Kelly. I learned, do I fully understand what my eyes can see or my vision? While explaining qualia vision, Dr. Kelly spoke about how many of us don't realize the work that the visual system is doing in the background. Our eyes are always working, seeing, and registering our environment. But if you know me, you'll know that I've had very weak vision for years. I've always worn contact lenses, and they were able to get me through life, but I noticed that I was starting to miss some very important things by not being able to see clearly or using my peripheral vision. Dr. Kelly mentioned this is what our eyes were designed to do. And after years of struggling, I finally had LASIK surgery just a few weeks ago and currently have vision far beyond 2020. I can now see with 2010 vision and I'm just starting to adjust to this new world. So for you, pick one area that you want to look at yourself and think, What will happen to the quality of your life if you improve this one area and just start here? If it's your vision like me or your digestion, your clarity or your sleep, go to neurohacker.com and just look at what they've got and try one thing. And I'm not being paid to endorse them. I honestly believe them to be the highest level supplements for improved health, longevity and wellness. Now, my second aha moment of learning was bridging science with the unknown. Dr. Kelly mentioned that he felt it was kind of woo-woo to mention, but he felt like his body would send him signals if he needed to take more digestion for his gut health. And I didn't think this was weird at all, as many neuroscientists talk about being in tune with our body as being interoceptive. Dr. Kelly said some of the people he knows are highly visual and can see things clearly on the screen of their minds while he cannot, but he feels highly developed with his interoceptive abilities. If you've been following our podcast for some time, 
you'll know that we've covered the Silva method this past year to help those of us who meditate to take our visualization skills to higher levels. This four-part series remains at the top of our all-time most listened to episodes with almost 6,000 downloads. I'm always trying to bridge the gap with what we can prove with science and what we can't. And speaking with Dr. Kelly today showed me that we all have superpowers that when developed have the ability to take us to new heights. Like I quoted in our Silva Method series, once we learn to use our mind to train it, it will do some astounding things for us, as you'll soon see. And that was said by Jose Silva, the author of the Silva Mind Control Method. So for you, what's your superpower? Mine is definitely the ability to see things clearly on the screen of my mind. I'd like to have this level of clarity with my eyes open. And just after a few weeks after fixing my eyesight, I can see a whole new world of possibility. Once you've figured out what your superpower is, take some time to work on strengthening it every day. From the interest in the Silva Mind Control episodes, I'm curious how many others are working on improving their visual systems through guided imagery and meditation. And with that, I'll close out this episode. I hope you've enjoyed this episode with Dr. Kelly and learned as much from him as I did. I'll see you next week and see what we can uncover together to take our learning to new heights. Have a good weekend. If you're enjoying the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning podcast, please don't forget to subscribe so you'll stay up to date with our new episodes. While you're there, please feel free to give us a review or a five-star rating as it helps others find us. For more information on our programs, books, and tools for schools and the workplace, visit us at www.achieveit360.com.